Welcome to A Drink with a Friend. I'm Seth Haynes. I'm Tish Oxenreiter. Tish Oxenreiter, what are you drinking today? It's a very boring answer. It's my grapefruit sparky water from HEB. Tis the season. Tis the time of day. Mm. You enjoying it? It's lovely. Yeah. I had my cups of flavored. Yeah, grapefruit. It's the best one. Yeah. It's really good. So we're good. How about you? All right. Uh, The blood of my enemies. (laughs) Time of year for that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm not. I'm not in trial currently, or else that's that would be my answer, and I would be <laughs> deathly serious. But I'm sure uh, that's what lawyers drink. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. That's what we like to say, even though that's mm-hmm. probably rarely true. I am drinking my standby coffee from downstairs, the mm-hmm. phenomenal coffee from Hail Fellow Well Met, uh, brewed by Onyx or made by Onyx, roasted by Onyx. Um, so yeah, uh-huh. it's delightful. I don't know if this says something about our age, but I find it funny that we've been doing this a couple of years now and we drink like the same four things. That's probably <laughs> that's okay. true. That probably is. That probably does have to do with our age. If we were yeah. 25, it would be like a Boilermaker. Yeah. yeah. Something with an umbrella in it. Yeah. Not anymore. Right. Yeah. That's probably, that's probably accurate. <sighs> yeah. We should. We should poll the listeners. Maybe the listeners are the – maybe they sit down to listen to this and they make a drink and it's the exact same drink every week. Um, that was kind of the original idea of the name, right? Like come sit with us at a table. So maybe, yeah, who knows? Yeah. Somebody told me the other day that they listened to it on their run and I'm like, I mm-hmm. think that kind of – how do you drink your tea while you're running? <laughs> right. It doesn't work. Right. Uh, okay. So oh, um, I have to ask before we get going – are you wearing your rain jacket? <laughs> I am wearing my rain jacket. There are two reasons for that. One, um, you can see out my window and it looks blue, mm-hmm. um, but that is an illusion. It's actually uh, gray as gray can be outside. It is got it. drizzly and rainy. It's um, a lie. But number two, it's I'm freezing cold in my office. Hmm. All right. So, yeah. So I got I'm the jacket. opposite the of freezing cold. Yeah, I'm the opposite uh, of that. Is it, <laughs> also uh, is it already hot? Is it always already hot down there? Uh, yeah, it's, it's not hot like summer hot, but it's hot like late May because it's late May hot. Yeah, good times. It has begun. Yeah. Yeah. But doesn't it get hot there like the day after Christmas? Isn't that how often <laughs> it works? No, no, it's actually really nice till like May. Like I will say mm. January through May is good. Um, And actually, well, okay, so I'm going to say this now so I don't forget. It reminds me that this is the reason we travel a lot in the summer when we can because of escaping here, which is also the reason I want to bring up. Um, I announced in my newsletter last week that Ireland is fully sold out, but I got an email two days ago that uh, we now have one spot left. So I'm telling this to listeners. Let's go. If you are like, ah, oh, dang it, I missed, I missed that sign up and I want to go to Ireland. I suddenly can July 15th through something. I, you should, you'd think I would know, but I don't, uh, July 15th for like a week and a few days, um, you should go. So maybe you're that one person who's going to sign up. So I'll put a link in the show notes, sign up for the Ireland trip. I feel like you should have sold that in a little bit more Sally Struthers way. Like (laughs) maybe you're that one person who desperately needs to get out of America and get to Ireland. This trip is To go whiskey tasting and, and bake scones or no, we're going to, yeah, we're taking a scone baking class and we're going to, yeah. Sheep herd with dogs and listen to 
listen to Irish music in someone's kitchen. Like it's a super weird, hands-on rustic trip. Like we're going to hike and be in the rain. So come with us. Yeah. Yeah. I've traveled with you before. As the listeners know, I've traveled with you twice now. Uh, Internationally traveled with you twice. I'm sure we Mm -hmm. can make up other things that we've traveled together and done, but we've traveled twice internationally. And you are a heck of a good time as a traveling partner. So <laughs> hey, thanks. I highly recommend a trip with Tish, a trip with yeah. a friend. Yeah, you should come. But in the meantime, you and I are here, and I bet our listeners are also experiencing the wonder. Have you heard the term Maycember? I don't know if this oh, is appropriate Oh, my gosh, no, but it, it makes so much sense. It's like December, but without the fun of holidays. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. so busy for parents in May. Well, Probably for lots of people, but I think May is particularly busy for parents and teachers just because of school year stuff. So it's bonkers. As soon as we're done recording, I'm heading out. You're, you've got a thing, too. So we're just so busy. Um, but you and I both have graduating seniors, and that's weird. Oh, man. Isn't it weird? Isn't it weird? I remember I keep saying I keep bringing this up when Isaac was probably three. There was this one weekend where Amber was out of town with the rest of the boys. So he it may have even been before the other boys. So he may have been two. Um, but she was out of town and we had a big uh, event planned for the day. We were going to go see the live version of Clifford the Big Red Dog, <laughs> which – I can't believe that I did that, but uh, we were going to go do that. And that morning I had been fishing um, before Amber left town. She allowed me to go fishing. And so I had my wading boots out in the living room is this little tiny house and there was really nowhere to put them. So I just had kind of dropped them by the door to dry. And I walked out and Isaac was standing in my wading boots, wading boots all the way up over his knees, you know, mm-hmm. walking around and uh, trying to say Clifford over and over again. And <laughs> I told him that the other day. I just, it's like the thing that when I think of his childhood, I just think of that over and over again. And now he's putting on his own wading boots and he's wading out into the world. Mm, very symbolic. I like mm, it. Yeah. That's very sweet. Yeah. yeah, we've we've had similar experiences. Um our graduation ceremony is very I mean, we it's a super small school. It's a class of eight, which is the largest class we've had. Um so if that tells you something. Um mm. so seniors get a little short slideshow at graduation of which oh, the parents cool. put together. So Kyle has been putting together Tate's slideshow and obviously it's like 2 minutes long. So it's really short. You have to curate these photos. And basically he's gone down this crazy rabbit hole of memory lane the past month and showing me these Mm. photos. We totally forgot. Like, it's not that, I don't know, in the thick of those early years, you think there's no way on earth I'm ever going to forget this, this time, but you kind of do. And it sounds so cliche. And I remember hearing, you know, giving parents all the eye rolls of whenever I was told it goes by fast. But I just, I legitimately forgot about some of those early moments and it was really fun and weird. It's just mostly weird is the only word I can describe. It doesn't feel like wrong. It just feels weird. It does feel weird. But Mm -hmm. also, aren't you, I mean, like no parent wants to say this. Okay. So Tate, Isaac, if you're listening, (laughs) buck up. Aren't you kind of glad? Isn't there a part of you that's like, oh, get out of here, man. You need to go Uh fly. Okay, so my friends and I, like, you know, some of the senior parents, we've been talking about this. Junior year, you think, I'm not, I'm going to be a hot mess by graduation. There's no way I'm going to be ready. By senior year, it's like something, God does something to make them, like, both more mature, but also more annoying, where... They want to be adults. Like they, I mean, they're still immature, but they're ready to be on their own. And you kind of want 
them to be on their own too. And I'm not oh. saying I'm not going to miss her like crazy when it's time. And I'm sure I'll cry. But right now, I'm so ready for her to leave in all love because it's time, you know? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's a good segue into <laughs> our ultimate topic for the day, yeah. which is what would you have told your younger self about parenting if you could go back, if you could turn back time as mm. – uh, was that Cher? That was Cher. Now it's going to be in my head mm. all day. Thanks. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, and all the right. listeners' heads too. So there you go. You're welcome for that. <laughs> uh-huh. If only we had the copyright or the licensing agreement to use that music right now, that would be perfect. But we do not. But if you could turn back time, yeah, what would you tell yourself about parenting? Yeah, I made a list. But the one that stands out to me that kind of covers everything is – and it's such a duh, but we don't believe it at the time um, – that they really – the kids really do come to the world with their own – virtues and vices. And uh, two years ago, when I was kind of going through a a rough patch in parenting, Tate, um, I had a friend tell me, we tend to give ourselves, we as parents, too much of the credit and too much of the blame. And so I think I would tell my younger self, like, lighten up on you as a parent. And I don't mean lighten up on the importance of parenting, because it really is like a solemn, important, sacred, holy job. And it's really important to take seriously, but like so little of it has to do with, I don't want to say with us because it does, but they ultimately we are all responsible for ourselves. And so that's true for our kids too. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, I think I would, I, I, uh, so do you remember the scene in E.T. when E.T. <laughs> becomes a sick alien and so does Elliot? I found that I would do that some in parenting. Like if my kids weren't doing well, then I would find a way to not be doing well either. And I had to really learn to let go of that and, Mm. and establish boundaries. And I think it became more true as they got older, like, Ooh, you're having a rough time with school. I need to remember, I am not a student. This is not my tough algebra test. You know, I don't know. Maybe that's a mom thing. I don't know. Did you ever deal with that? Um, I don't know if that's a mom thing or not. I think the okay. I think the self differentiation is a little bit different for a dad and a mom. I mean, you carry them in your womb and give birth to them. Like they are literally attached to you for nine yeah. months. And so detaching, I think, is maybe I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm not a psychologist nor am I a woman. So let me mansplain to you how <laughs> uh how this works. Sure. I think it's a little bit different for a father though. Um I think and th- this would would kind of dovetail pretty good with what I was going to say as my first one. I think with guys, especially fathers of sons, there's a whole lot of expectations that they would maybe somehow follow in your footsteps. So yeah. it's there's not that same kind of attachment, but like there's that hope that you know the little boy who stands in the fly fishing boots will one day be a fly fisherman and that did actually work out for me with one of my kids but for the yeah. other three they do not care um you know i have two basketball players which is a thing i loved and i have two that are not in any way shape or form um i have uh you know a guitar player which i love i have mm. no photographer in the family which yeah. kind of hurts to some degree but you know, you come with all these expectations of I'm going to sh- take and shape and mold this kid and they're going to be so much like me and they're going to have my DNA and my hair color and my interests and my hobbies. And sometimes that's just not the way it is. <laughs> right. Um, and yeah. so like allowing 
myself to let go and explore with my sons the things that make them unique and make them different mm-hmm. and celebrate those unique and different things, hmm. even when you don't quite understand them. Uh, that yeah. one took me a long time to figure out. Did you find it was hard in different stages too? Like, like I don't know, when they're little, you just think, oh, sure, explore, do all these things. But as they get older and they find their own like personality and who they are and they choose differently than you, it actually feels a little like, okay, I'm not going to take this personally. Yeah, especially when it has to do with things like faith or mm. – um, and I'm not saying these things are necessarily – true of my kids, but faith or substance uh, use or Mm. um, pastimes, hobbies, uh, intellectual pursuits, anything that like you hold is very particular to you as almost like an identity piece. And they don't adopt that as an identity piece, even if they don't, even if they like to read, but they don't like to read as much or even if they, you know, don't party, but they go to a party, you know, just like different, different choices around different identity pieces that we own. I think that's been the hardest part. You know, and I would, I would say that's probably true on my end too, with a mom with my daughter. And I, since I have both, I have two boys and a girl. um, I find that to be truer for me with Tate than with my boys. Like I feel a little bit of a disconnect and I don't know if Amber feels this way with her boys, like less of a holding on to, I, I really would like you to be a certain way. Um, with my boys and I do with Tate and it's, it's very similar. Like she and I have a number of things in common, but we also are very different. And I'm, I've had to learn that that's more than okay. That's, that's like God designed and, and that's good for me and good for her, but that's hard. It's just, it's funny. I mean, I think that the common thread between both of our things that we've said so far is it's not about you, you know, as a parent Yes, and that that's hard because we're selfish human beings. That's exactly yeah. right. It's, it's terrifyingly hard. I wish it were easier. It showed because it shows our our inadequacies, not theirs. Right, right, for sure. Yeah, yeah. All right. What's next on your list? Um, the other one for me is learn to let your kids fail well. And it's funny because I'm recording this what one, two, three, four days before Tate's high school graduation, and I literally was dealing with this yesterday. <laughs> so this is a thing I've had to learn since you know you learn this probably way at the beginning when you're having to listen to them cry, um, all the way to yesterday when Tate was working on her college final. Like she's she's been taking college classes all year, um, virtually where she's going to end up going, and. She was like, oh, my gosh, this essay. Ah, I don't think I can do it. I had to just be like, you can do it. I'm, you know, yay, cheer you on. And then just close the door and walk away. I mean, like, what am I going to do for her? I can't take I don't want to take the test for her. I'm not going to take the test for her. But it was Mm -hmm. like, here we are still 18 years old. And she's just going to have to be okay with it. She she did fine. She was not thrilled with her grade. And we I had to just talk with her and just, yeah, it's an average grade. It's not your best. It's not devastating. You're fine. You passed. Um, and that's okay. And so I think for me, it's like a lot of parenting is swooping in to catch them when they're about to fall off that ladder or whatever it is at the playground. But it's a lot of like letting them fall out of that tree because then they'll learn how to climb it better. Um, and it just gets really scary when they're teenagers and you just think that letting them fail could look like, you know, something way bigger than falling out of a tree. Um, yeah. That's just a huge part of it. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a tough one. Amber and I have always been pretty good about letting our kids fail at the little things, like the inconsequential mm-hmm. things. And we always have these sayings like, well, it's, you know, failure teaches you. It's how you learn. You know, we celebrate failure because it's how you do differently the next time. That's all fine and good when you're talking about a tree, to your point. Right. Um, it's a lot different when you're talking about a college entrance exam or you're talking oh, about the person that they're dating or when you're talking about some – you know, larger life choice that has ripple effects out into the rest of life. And that's one of the things that I really wish I would have done differently. Um, Mm. And and I'm correcting those things now, but one of the things I wish I would have done differently as I was raising the kids is I wish I would have told them or helped them to understand more the ripple effects of every decision they make instead of Mm -hmm. saying, do this, don't do that. Um, instead of handing them a black and white playbook, which ironically was the very thing that I was handed and that I found out in my thirties didn't work. And so it's just funny that I never really like put that all together for my kids. But one of the things that I wish I would have said earlier is, you know, every decision that you make has a ripple effect and a consequence in life. And so just project down the road and think about those consequences and, um, and it's okay if you make a bad decision with ripple effects that go in a wrong direction because yeah. you can always course correct. But, um, but, but every decision that you make has an impact later on life. I, and I, 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 frankly, I probably didn't know that in my twenties and thirties. Yeah. Sometimes that's learned just through real life experience. I find that lesson is, so Tate is a perfectionist, which is why she, <laughs> I don't know where she gets us, but it's why she'll like flip out over a B in in class. Um, and so sometimes having that every decision has a price tag or has consequences can you also have to frame it with, but like it's a give nickel reactions to nickel things and five dollar yes. reactions to five dollar. Like don't flip yes. out over these little things. So it's a it's a both and I find for yeah. at least my yeah. kids. Yeah, not every consequence is life altering either, right? Like <laughs> right, right. every decision has a consequence that ripples out um into the world, but not every ripple out into the world capsizes, you know, a boat. Right, right. Yep, that's right. Okay, so what do you have? What's what else is on? Um list? I think my biggest one is and, and really I don't know that I, I think I would have told this to me, not as parenting advice, but as a younger man. I would have said this to myself as a younger man and said, this affects everything, including parenting, Um, which is listen to your own journey. Um, Mm. We've talked about this before. I think part of my real struggle, and we, we talked about this in Italy the first time we went, part of my real struggle with life has been that I've known for many, many years that I had a very particular spiritual path and spiritual journey that I was sort of leaning toward, but I didn't listen to it and I didn't follow it because I felt like I couldn't listen to it. Mm -hmm. I felt like I couldn't follow it. You know, if I were to go follow this particular spiritual path, then, you know, maybe people would judge me or maybe I would lose, you know, friends or family members or whatever. Um, And, and as a consequence of that, Um, I made parenting decisions that were very different. So for Mm. instance, you know, and and to be very, very particular for people who may be listening the first time, um, it wasn't, it wasn't until my forties that I 
joined the Catholic Church, and um, in the Catholic Church, you know, there's this idea that you go to Sunday church. Like, this is not an option. This is obligatory. Um, mm-hmm. And and it sounds really weird. I think it would sound really weird to myself as a 20-year-old. This is an obligation. But it is a obligation that is also full of grace, right? So it's yep. a beautiful obligation. Um. But as a result of that, for years and years and years, you know, my family was sort of raised in this way where it was like, hey, you know, churches, it, it, we do it because I lead worship there because Amor's preaching or whatever. But if there's a week we're out of town, it's fine. Or if there's right. a week that we're just tired, we need to reconnect, it's fine. And so it sort of put a different emphasis, right, on the church gathering. And that's just one example. That's just one tiny example. There are hundreds of examples. If I had listened to my journey, I would have taken things like confession seriously, which would have changed the way I parented my kids to think about how they did wrong and why there's a need to go confess and how we repent and what that looks like. Um, Had I taken my journey seriously and listened to it, I probably would have interacted with the poor and the homeless in a different way Um, Mm -hmm. and the marginalized. Um, Yeah. so, So I just look at that and think, if I could have just told myself, hey, you know what you are, just go listen to it and and follow that, um, I think it would have changed a lot of the ways I view the world and a lot of ways I raise my kids. And I think my kids, to some mm-hmm. degree, would have gotten lessons sooner that they've they've unfortunately had to wait later in their lives to 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 hear. Yeah, yeah. man, that's that's really true. So true. Um, and. I don't know if you guys feel this way. I, I don't, I'm not a regret person. Like I tend to not really ruminate yeah. on regrets. Kyle struggles with that a little bit more. I mean, I, he would say that, so I'm not throwing him under the bus. Um, you know, we kind of say in our family, like don't show it all over yourself that yeah. um, you have to be careful with that. But if I were to have a regret, sometimes I struggle with the simple regret that I wish we had become Catholic sooner. Like yeah. I, you know, to where uh, some of these, especially with Tate who, you know, we didn't become Catholic till she was 16. So um, just a lot of those practices, like, you know, going to mass no matter what and, you know, rosaries at home and all these other things that are just like does to a lot of Catholic families we just didn't do. And I feel yeah. a little like I'm sending her out like, okay, best of luck. Um, yeah. But I have to be reminded a lot that maybe God, I mean, who? I know the multiverse kind of theory, notwithstanding, like maybe if we had become Catholic earlier, that would have backfired. That would have not been great for our kids. So who knows? You know, I'm going to have to just trust that this is the best thing for us. Totally. Totally. And and again, I don't, I I don't, I'm kind of like you in the shame department. Like, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like a sociopath. Like maybe I should be more (laughs) shameful about things or something, but so I don't, I don't heap shame on myself for that. But, um, by the same token, I mean, I think if, if there is a listener out there who's in their early thirties, who's raising small kids and feels like you're locked into this thing, that is not you, right? Like I go do this thing and it is not me. It does not connect. It is not helping the way I raise my kids. Um, and, and you know that there's a cleaner and clearer path forward. Like you're not going to regret it down the line. I would not have regretted it. Right. I mean, there would be its own sets of challenges. You're totally right. Like, Hey, kids who are raised cradle Catholics, like I know there's Catholic shame. I know that's a thing. Um, kids who weren't raised in the evangelical church, a lot of times don't know the scriptures as well as my kids do. I know that's a thing. Right. So there are, there are own sets of challenges 
Yeah. But again, I think the the ultimate quandary is like, are you going to wake up in 15 years and say, man, I wish I would have done that 15 years ago. Yep. Um, and if you are, make that change because that changes literally everything about the way you parent. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. I hadn't thought of that as related to parenting, but you're right. That's good. I like it. You have another one? I have one more. Yeah. Um, okay. So the broad idea with this one for me is don't be a cruise ship director. So I was told that back early on, and I would say we did a fairly decent job of this. But what I mean by this broadly is um, don't feel like as a parent, you have to like be the entertainment for your kids. Like not only the entertainment personally, like you got to get on the floor and play with them all the time when they're little, but also like don't feel like you have to sign them up for five activities a week or um, give them a phone too soon or like be the cool mom or whatever it is like don't like be okay with just being the parent and be okay with letting them be bored especially early on and this is where I say we did pretty well um like just shoo them outside with sticks you know (laughs) as opposed to getting them all the things and um and whenever they say they're bored you know in the middle of summer just say great what are you going to do with that instead of like Mm -hmm. oh let me schedule you 17 play dates um and then you know, we, the science is more clear now than when our oldest were younger, but I would delay getting a phone as long as possible. And I'm not going to prescribe a certain age, but I mean, knowing what we know now, I would hold off as long as can't like basically just let them be kids, but also let them be bored kids. Cause that's, what's that phrase? Something about boredom being the mother of invention. Um, it just, I don't know. It affects their brains. They need to be bored. They need to like sit in a tree and read a book. Um, So just be okay with that. Like don't feel this guilt to like, I don't know, micromanage their lives and their entertainment schedule. Yeah. That's great. That's fantastic. I don't really have another Mm -hmm. one, but I do want to piggyback off that. Yeah, go for it. Um, I've been, I've been really on this kick lately of, of sort of just trying to understand the, no, no, I don't like nuance. That's not the right word. But just like how to parse problems out and to say, okay, not everything here is bad. So for instance, um, Titus, who's 11, our 11-year-old, just got a cell phone. Yeah. So do I wish we could have delayed that? Sure, I totally wish we could have delayed that. But he's in summer league basketball. He's spending the night with friends. Like there are things now where it's like, we have to drop him off early at the gym and pick him up. And we have to pick him up at people's houses and so there are a whole host of things that like, it's just really helpful for us. <laughs> it has nothing to do with him. It's just helpful for us as parents. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that we're pretty, pretty adamant with him about is like, this does not mean that you're on social media. You, you having a phone does not mean you're on social media. I really, really wish that earlier on with my older two, I would have said, okay, maybe you need a phone, but you do not need Instagram. You do not need Twitter. I don't think they're on Twitter, but you don't need to be perusing Reddit. You don't like these things are not helpful for you. And so um, you're totally right about that. Um, So if you're a parent who has purchased your 10, 11, 12 year old, a phone, um, like Mm -hmm. that's okay. If that's a decision that you need to make for your family, if it works for your family, but then start to ask yourself, like, what are the parameters and the limits around those things? Like, does that mean they get to jump on snap, like maybe not the best decision for most, dare I say, all humans with a brain. Right. Um, right. If it's not uh, good for us, it's probably shows. not good for their growing brains. <laughs> right. Yes, that's right. So says yeah. the research, not Seth and Tish. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, I think that's a really good one. Like let them be bored. That's a that's a yeah. that's a pretty big one. And you know, this really is not about shaming parents who are making choices that are best for them. Um, you know, Autumn was on, Autumn Kern was on our show a few weeks ago and she was talking about how she dumb, downgraded to a dumb phone and we got to talking about kids and there's a lot of options out there. So I don't want to get into that. I mean, honestly, if anyone subscribes to my newsletter, they already know how I feel about, about media use and kids and all this stuff. But, um, I just think it, all signs point to you at minimum will not regret waiting. I have some friends who feel like they're in their minority because their kids don't yet have a phone at a certain age. And of course, you know, their kids at one of them are begging them. They're saying they're the only ones. They're giving PowerPoint presentations as to why they need phones or whatever it is. And um, if you really feel convicted that that's not best for you, I don't think you'll regret holding firm on that. You know, totally. I just can't imagine. And at at minimum, you can always get him a phone. It's very hard to ungive a phone, you know. That's, so. that's right. <laughs> it's like letting the genie out of the bottle. You can't right. put it back in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, all in all, I would say like the general parenting theme. I feel this next week is like, man, it goes by fast. Go easy on yourself. Take it seriously, but also like just know that God's got them and knows your kid way more than you do, and. It's it's kind of weird to let part of your own DNA just go out in the world, but it's just also time when it's time. God will give you the grace when it's time to make it happen. That's that's what I'm trusting anyway. Yeah. Well, that's what all of the um, priests and spiritual directors say. So yeah, I figure they got to know something, right? They probably know more than we do. That's right. It's probably true. Yep. All right. So as we wrap up, Seth, what's adding more truth? beauty, goodness to your life these days? Man, this is, this is a rough one because it's so cliche and I (laughs) hate being cliche, but, uh, have you been watching Ted Lasso this whole time? Mm -mm. No, I, I am not on the Apple TV bandwagon, but I know everyone's telling me it's great. It, it's like every time I thought, cause you know, when it came out, it was the first first year of the pandemic, right? And so everyone was like, this is the show we didn't think we needed. And then in 2020, whatever, one or whatever, when 22, maybe when that second season came out, everybody was like, I don't know how they did it, but this is the show that we needed. And just like every week and, you know, listen, I don't, I don't endorse all the content in it, but I do love, love, love what uh, the characters represent all, all the hmm. way around. And okay. um, yeah, cool. man, it just, every time I watch it, I feel kinder. Oh, that's kind of fun. Isn't that a, I've heard, isn't that a good feeling? I've heard mixed reviews about this season, but you're here to say, no, it's worth it. I think it is. I just, again, okay. like the, you're going to hear mixed reviews about it. That There's a lot more, I think there's a lot more social commentary that, mm. you know, as any show goes on, I have found in the modern age, they tend to get a little bit like as they strive to be relevant to the cultures, they strive to incorporate, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever they, you know, perceive the culture to be at large, especially if they're popular, they tend to get a little bit preachy. And and I could certainly see some saying that this, this season has turned a little bit preachier, but, um, I would say like anytime you watch a show and you feel kinder, 
Um, sure. Even if you don't agree with all the characters, I don't agree with everybody in my real world, right? So yeah, if right, I can right. look at somebody <laughs> who is approaching the world in a kind way and then say like, mm-hmm. man, particularly as a Christian person, how should I um, sort of take that same attitude out into the world? Like, I think that's a yeah. win. That's good. That's so, good. All right. Anyway, that's all my right. take on it. And I if like anybody it. wants to throw stones at me for that, then <laughs> all stones welcomed. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. So what about you? What's one thing that's adding a little bit of truth, beauty, or goodness to your life? Um, a little basic answer as well, but not as new. Um, I am listening via the audiobook, I'm listening to uh Lord of the Rings, but read by okay. Andy Circus. So Andy Circus oh reads it and it is so insanely good. Like he is a phenomenal voice actor. Obviously, he does Gollum. Yeah. As Gollum, because he is Gollum, but um, he does all the other voices really, really well. And I was hesitant about it. You know, you just think, eh, is it going to be hokey? It's so good. It's really, really good. Now, I mean, if anyone who's read Lord of the Rings knows, it's long. Um, it The Council of Elrond goes on for two hours. He talks a lot about trees. <laughs> you know, he, he gets really descriptive about trees and about <laughs> the weirdest things. But it's still so good. So if you've hesitated about Lord of the Rings, give it a try on audiobook and give it a try with Andy Serkis because he's just the gold standard of of voice acting, I think. And it really shows in this series. So I'll put a link in the show notes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that wraps this up. A reminder, please be the one to sign up for Ireland. Can't wait to find out who you are. Um, I'll like give you a shout out on the bus or something as we're going through that you were the the one who took the spot that was available you can find this episode as well as all episodes at a drink with a friend.com and that's also where you can go to help support this show by picking up the next round of drinks uh, that's at a drink with friend.com again and i'll also put a link in the show notes of this episode you can find me and how to connect with me especially via my newsletter at tishoxenwriter.com seth how about you Hey, this is exciting. You ready for something exciting? Ooh, so yes, you can f- you can find me at uh, sethhaines.substack.com. But also, Substack has now rolled out this new like tag type of situation where they've uh-huh. given you everyone like a domain that associates with their name, I guess. Yeah. So you can also just go to substack.com slash at Seth Haynes. Huh. So now there are two ways you can get to the Substack. So exciting. Really crazy. And who knows, when I connect my actual domain to it, there'll be three ways you can get to it. <laughs> there you go. All right. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. Editing is by Kyle Oxenrider. I'm Tish Oxenrider with Seth Haynes. And we'll be back here again with you soon. Thanks for listening.